He's laughing at every person in America who actually paid taxes. Jeff Bezos' trip to outer space is being financed by all the rest of the U.S. taxpayers who paid their taxes so that Jeff Bezos didn't have to. Yeah, Senator Warren's been trying to tell us that for a while. I wonder if we'll start listening. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., uh, also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon, on the Central Coast, on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. In Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com. Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell and maddened fellow from (laughs) bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, Desi Doy, and I I hate to say it, but it's... uh, it's, it is starting to feel like the worst days of the Trump administration of late as far as not when it comes to the constant anxiety of, you know, of a disastrously corrupt administration breaking the government more and more each day. But just the sheer volume of important news and big stories that seem to keep breaking faster and faster each day to the point where, once again, it's kind of getting difficult to keep up with it all, and it feels like we're going into triage mode here once again, picking and choosing what we can cover here. We have not exited from the Trump era yet. Trumpism is still strong, and we're still cleaning up from the past and trying to prevent it from happening in the future, and we're kind of not doing a great job of it. Well put. You're absolutely right. (laughs) I think a lot of people think, oh, Trump is over, the Trump era is done. It ain't. It is still ongoing. And still very dangerous. Uh, yeah, as uh, we learned from the bombshell late last uh, night from the New York Times. But before we can even get to that bombshell, I wanted to mention I was looking forward uh, today to covering another bombshell that uh, was dropped exclusively by ProPublica this week based on actual IRS data that they somehow obtained for the richest men in America. I have no idea how they got their hands on this data which is supposed to be really well guarded by the IRS, at least in theory. Uh, but what it shows is the just the paltry tax rate that the super wealthy billionaires in this country pay in federal income tax if they pay anything at all. It's actually a mind-blowing report. 
Uh, hopefully, it leaves, leads to some serious changes in the U.S. tax code, but we will see. Uh, we'll be joined shortly to discuss that bombshell on how it can possibly be that the nation's wealthiest Americans, like Jeff Bezos and Warren Buffett and Elon Musk, pay zero in income tax in many years. And what, if anything, will be done about it? My old friend from Mother Jones, Michael Mechanic, uh, who just happens to have a have published a book uh, a, a few weeks ago called Jackpot, How the Super Rich Really Live and How Their Wealth Harms Us All. He'll be joining with us to talk about that bombshell. But the other bombshell first that broke on Thursday night at The New York Times, it turns out that uh, the Trump administration's Department of Justice was actually, yes, spying on members of Congress, to put it in Donald Trump terms. Though so far, only Democratic members of Congress and only members of Congress who Donald Trump just happens to have had some vendettas against in a series of subpoenas for private email and text messaging uh, data that uh, and phone calls that I believe is unprecedented, an unprecedented violation of the separation of powers between branches of the federal government. According to The Times last night and good Lord, <laughs> As the Justice Department investigated who was behind leaks of classified information early in the Trump administration, it took a highly unusual step. That's an understatement by the <laughs> yeah. Times. Prosecutors subpoenaed Apple for data from the accounts of at least two Democrats on the House Intelligence Committee, as well as their aides, their staffers, and their family members, including their children, at least one of whom was a minor. All told, the records of at least a dozen people tied to the committee were seized in secret by Trump's Department of Justice in 2017 and early 2018. The uh, two that we know of, the two Congress members that we know of, are Adam Schiff of California, who was then the panel's top Democrat. Now it's chairman and Congressman Eric Swalwell, also of California. Prosecutors under uh, Attorney General then Jeff Sessions were hunting for the sources behind news media reports about contacts between Trump associates and Russia. They didn't cover uncover anything. And then Bill Barr came in and looked at these leak investigations that some had discussed closing and said, no, let's uh, let's upgrade them. Let's <clears> ramp <throat> it up. Let's ramp it up, which they did. And uh, the the zeal in the Trump administration's effort to hunt leakers, according to The Times, led to the extraordinary step of subpoenaing communications metadata from members of Congress, a nearly unheard of move outside of corruption investigations. While the DOJ leak investigations are routine, current former congressional officials familiar with the inquiry said they could not recall any instance in which the records of lawmakers had been seized as part of such an investigation. So remember all of those congressional subpoenas that were blocked by the Trump administration when he pretty much wouldn't let anybody testify to Congress from the attorneys general to White House counsel Don McGahn, who was subpoenaed by the House Judiciary Committee to discuss his on the record comments about Trump's obstruction of justice that was detailed by special counsel Robert Mueller in his report. Remember that McGahn was blocked by the administration 
from testifying for two years as the challenge went all the way up to the Supreme Court, who said, yeah, you must testify. McGahn finally did testify just last week. Well, all of the claims that the White House had made that documents did not need to be turned over to Congress, that executive branch officials did not need to testify or even respond to lawful congressional subpoenas. All of that was made under the idea of the separation of powers. That the legislative congressional branch had no say over what the executive branch did. The separation of powers of two co-equal branches of government. That Congress had to leave the White House alone, leave the executive officials alone, because it would be unconstitutional otherwise. That was the argument that they made. And at the very same time that they were making those claims, the executive branch, Donald Trump's own Department of Justice, was secretly obtaining phone and email and text messages from members of the legislative branch. Certain ones. In secret, ones that they considered to be political enemies, Democrats on the House Judiciary Committee that were investigating crimes committed by the executive branch. This is unprecedented, at least as far as anybody seems to know. On Friday, in response to the report, the uh, DOJ's internal watchdog has said it is launching an investigation after Democrats called the seizures a shocking abuse of power. Oh, do you think? And I mean, I know this game can be overplayed, but, you know, can you imagine, can you even imagine the outrage that justifiably that would be underway right now if the Obama Justice Department had spied on, let's say, Devin Nunes or Joe Jordan, had obtained their phone and email and text messaging records secretly, had got the records of their staff and their minor children? Can you imagine the outrage and years-long investigations and calls for resignations and criminal prosecutions that there would appropriately be in that case? If even one of the many abuses of power that have come to light in, uh, in recent days about the DOJ or the White House, if any one of those had ever happened during the Obama administration or Clinton or Biden administration, we would be looking now at the burnt, smoking hulk of ruins of Washington, D.C. <laughs> by now. True. So, yeah, I can only hope that Democrats and the De Justice Department under Merrick Garland get off their asses and realize what they are dealing with in this previous administration and how all of this will, yes, happen again unless there are some kind of very serious consequences for what has gone on over the past four years. Because right now I get the sense that it's sort of, you know, just business or politics as usual for the Democrats and for Merrick Garland and that they better wake up real soon and realize that none of what happened over the past four years was business as usual. And that just because Joe Biden is now in office does not mean, as Desi said, that the Trump era is behind us. We are very much in the middle of it still, and we will continue to be until there are consequences for what happened and reforms to prevent it all from happening again. 
So I, I think it's fair to say we'll absolutely be returning to this matter and others like it in the days ahead. But now I've got to get to that other bombshell this week, helping to underscore how this nation has become so goddamn broken in the first place. And hint, it ain't the poor and the middle class that broke us. ProPublica's bombshell this week on the nation's wealthiest Americans and their virtually complete tax avoidance. That's next on the Bradcast. Buckle up. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks. Rich. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com in, yes, yet another gobsmacking uh, bombshell this week, a nearly 6,000-word exclusive recently published by ProPublica. The nonprofit news site obtained and revealed IRS data from the nation's wealthiest Americans, documenting and revealing a fact that many of us realize, but few have rarely seen reported in such stark, clear, breathtaking detail and with such disturbing implications. The media outlet, as they report, obtained a vast cache of IRS information showing how billionaires like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and Warren Buffett pay little in income tax compared to their massive wealth, sometimes even paying nothing at all. In 2007, for example, Jeff Bezos, then a multi-billionaire and now the world's richest man, did not pay a penny in federal income taxes. Did you in 2007? He achieved that same feat again in 2011. In 2018, Tesla founder Elon Musk, the second richest person in the world, also paid no federal income taxes. None. Did you give back any of your income to the federal government that year? Well, Elon Musk didn't. Michael Bloomberg managed to do the same, uh, the same thing in recent years, while billionaire investor Carl Icahn did it twice. George Soros paid no federal income tax three years in a row. ProPublica, somehow, they do not say how, has obtained a vast trove of Internal Revenue Service data somehow on the tax returns of thousands of the nation's wealthiest people, covering more than 15 years. ProPublica is not disclosing how it obtained the data, which they say was given to them in raw form with no conditions or conclusions. The reporters say they spent months, months processing and analyzing the material to transform it into a usable database. Months, they say, 
No specific detail of how many months. We'll talk to my guest about that in a bit. The data provides an unprecedented look inside the financial lives of American America's titans, including Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, Rupert Murdoch, Mark Zuckerberg. It shows not just their income and taxes, but also their investments, stock trades, gambling winnings, and even the results of audits. Tax information, they note, is among the most zealously guarded secrets in the federal government. ProPublica decided to reveal individual tax information of some of the wealthiest Americans because it is only by seeing specifics, they say, that the public can understand the realities of the country's tax system. Taken together, the data, they report, demolishes the cornerstone myth of the American tax system, that everyone pays their fair share and the richest Americans pay the most. The IRS records show that the wealthiest can, perfectly legally, pay income taxes that are only a tiny fraction of the hundreds of millions, if not billions, their fortunes grow each and every year. Many Americans, meanwhile, live paycheck to paycheck, amassing little wealth and paying the federal government a percentage of their income each year, a percentage that rises each year if they earn more through their labor. In recent years, the median American household earned about $70,000 annually and paid 14% in federal taxes. The highest income tax rate, 37%, kicks in this year for couples on earnings only above 628000 The confidential tax records obtained by ProPublica show that the ultra-rich effectively sidestepped this system entirely. America's billionaires avail, avail themselves of tax avoidance strategies beyond the reach of ordinary people. Their wealth derives from the skyrocketing value of their assets, like stock and property. Those gains are not, however, defined by U.S. laws as taxable income. Unless and until the billionaires actually sell them, even as they continue to accrue value. To capture the financial reality of the richest Americans, ProPublica says they undertook an analysis that has never been done before, comparing how much in taxes the 25 richest Americans paid each year to how much Forbes estimates their wealth grew in that same period. They call this their true tax rate, how much they actually paid as part of their total wealth in federal taxes. The results, they report, are stark. According to Forbes, those 25 people saw their worth rise, a collective $401 billion from 2014 to 2018. 25 Americans got wealthier by $401 billion in just five years, and they paid a total of $13.6 billion in federal income taxes in those five years, all told. Wait, so you say $400 billion during those years, right. but paid only $13 billion. Right. Well, $13 billion is a big money, a, yeah, a but lot of money. a it's tiny a, amount well, compared it to is. $400. That's right. It amounts to a true tax rate on what they made during those years of just 3.4%. So how much... Did you pay again in taxes last year? 
It is a completely different picture for middle-class Americans, they report. For example, wage earners in their early 40s have amassed a typical amount of wealth for people their age. From uh, 2014 to 2018, such households may have seen their net worth expand by about $65,000 after taxes on average, mostly due to the rise in the value of their homes. But because the vast bulk of their earnings were salaries as opposed to assets like stocks, their tax bills were almost as much, nearly $62,000 over that same period. The story is very similar for each of the top 25, that uh, richest 25 that ProPublica looked at uh, by way of just one example, Warren Buffett, the uh, grandfatherly centibillionaire, as they describe him. That means he has hundreds of billions of dollars in wealth. He saw his riches rise $24.3 billion in those years from 2014 to 2018. But during those same years, he reported paying $23.7 million in taxes. That works out to a true tax rate of 0.1% or less than 10 cents for every $100 that he added to his wealth. How much of your wealth did you pay in taxes those years? Then there's Jeff Bezos. In 2007, one of the years he paid zero uh, in federal income taxes. Amazon's stock that same year more than doubled, and Bezos's fortune leapt by $3.8 billion, according to Forbes. How did a person enjoying that sort of wealth explosion end up paying no income tax? Well, that year, Bezos, who filed his taxes jointly with his then wife, reported a paltry, at least for him, $46 million in income, largely from interest and dividend payments on outside investments. He was able to offset every single penny that he earned with losses from side investments and various deductions like interest expenses on debts and the vague catch-all category of, quote, other expenses. In 2011, a year in which his wealth held roughly steady at $18 billion, that's his wealth, not his, what's considered his income that year, Bezos filed a tax return reporting that he lost money that year, poor fella. His income that year was more than offset by investment losses. What's more, because according to the tax law, he made so little, he even claimed and received a $4,000 tax credit for his children. Yes, the federal government gave him $4,000 to make sure that Jeff Bezos had enough money to take care of the kids. That's disgusting. His tax avoidance is even more striking if you examine 2006 to 2018, a period for which ProPublica has complete data. Bezos's wealth increased by $127 billion during that period, but he reported a total of just $6.5 billion in income. The $1.4 billion he paid in personal federal taxes is a massive number. Sure, if you or I had to pay $1.4 billion, that's a lot of money. However, it amounts to a true tax rate of just 1.1% on the rise of his fortune. 
Wealth inequality has become one of the defining issues of our age. They report the president, Congress are considering the most ambitious tax increases in decades on those with high incomes. But the American tax conversation is largely dominated by debate over incremental changes to marginal tax rates. Should it be 39.6 or 37 percent? There's been much less discussion on uh, whether wealth, which grows each year with the growth of the stock market and increased values of assets like real estate, if that should be taxed when it comes to the wealthy. That might at least begin to level the playing field so that millionaires and billionaires pay similar federal tax rates each year as those who struggle from month to month just to cover the bills and make sure there's food on the table. Taxes are a kind of collective sacrifice, ProPublica writes. No one loves giving their hard-earned money to the government, but the system works only as long as it is perceived to be fair. Their analysis, they say, of tax data for the 25 richest Americans quantifies just how unfair the system has now become. By the end of 2018, the 25 individuals were worth $1.1 trillion dollars. For comparison, that would take 14.3 million, million ordinary American wage earners put together to equal that same amount of amassed wealth. The personal federal tax bill for that top 25 in 2018 was $1.9 billion. The bill for the wage earners, how much did they pay in taxes? $143 billion. Michael Mechanic, senior editor at Mother Jones, has been spending the last year or two with some of those ultra-rich folks who get those ultra-great tax breaks. And he's just published a book called Jackpot about how the ultra-wealthy live, how they stay ultra-wealthy, and how they do so at the cost of all of the rest of us. Mike Mechanic joins us next to discuss the ProPublica bombshell, his book, and much more. That's straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Yeah, it must be. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Okay, this uh, this jaw-dropping report by ProPublica this week, uh, as the New York Times describes it, detailing how America's richest men avoid paying taxes, has intensified interest in Congress. Oh, good. Uh, even among some Republicans. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, right. And changing the tax code to ensure that People like Jeff Bezos and Warren Buffett pay their fair share. For Republicans, the idea that the tax code should give preferential treatment to investment over labor, well, that's an idea that has been sacrosanct. But the news this week showed how the treatment of stocks, bonds, real estate, huge loans taken off of those assets 
has sent the tax bills of the richest Americans plummeting. Democrats, especially in the Senate, have been uh, hard at work on a tax package to finance President Biden's domestic agenda, including a major infrastructure plan, climate change measures, and the expansion of education and health care benefits. Much of that work, which is vehemently opposed by Republicans, has been focused on clawing back tax cuts that were lavished on corporations by the 2017 tax cuts. That would be Trump's signature and only notable legislative achievement and to prevent multinational corporations from shifting their taxable profits offshore so they don't pay any taxes on it either. The U.S. taxes people based on their income and investment gains, not according to their net worth. Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon, the chair of the Tax Writing Finance Committee, said on Wednesday that Americans knew that billionaires played these kind of games. But what was significant about the ProPublica report, he explained, was that it laid it all out in stark detail about the most affluent people in America. He said that he was working on an array of proposals to get at the issue, possibly including a return to some kind of minimum tax and would soon unveil specific proposals, but he said billionaires are going to have to pay their fair share every year. Well, we'll see. The ProPublica revelations got to a widely understood issue, that the super-rich earn virtually all of their wealth from the constantly rising value of their assets, the stuff that they own already particularly in the stock market, and the, the sale of those assets are taxed at a much lower rate than ordinary income from a paycheck. But the analysis also revealed a less recognized strategy employed by the super-rich, and this one kind of blows my mind. Taking huge loans, using their assets as collateral for those loans, allows them to avoid selling their assets at all and facing any taxation and even to write off some of the lending costs, the costs for those loans. They then write it off. In that way, Bezos and Buffett, for example, were able to show yearly income losses even as their wealth grew exponentially by billions of dollars. Those kind of tricks, perfectly legal under the tax code apparently, would be unaffected by some of Biden's proposals like increasing the top marginal tax rate from 39.6 to 37 percent and taxing capital gains at the same rate as income taxes for people who earn more than $1 million a year. Such proposals still rely on paychecks that the super-rich largely eschew and the sales of assets that they typically avoid. Joining us now is someone who I believe may be able to give us a lot of insight into this, given what he's been up to over the past couple of years. Michael Mechanic is the senior editor at Mother Jones and author of the brand new book, Jackpot, How the Super Rich Really Live and How Their Wealth Harms Us All. Michael Mechanic, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Hey, Brad. Good to be here. Uh, Mike, your your new book, uh, which I hope to discuss uh, in a bit more detail, uh, is 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 as noted called Jackpot: How the Super Rich Really Live and How Their Wealth Harms Us All. Let me start there because I think it feeds into all of this. ProPublica 
clearly spells out how unfair all of this is to most of the nation. But how does this accumulated wealth in the hands of a very small number of ultra rich actually harm us as you see it? Well, for one, I mean, as as uh, we've seen from the way the tax code works, wealth begets wealth and we reward capital over wages. So, you know, if you make a fortune on a stock, you mm-hmm. pay maximum of 20% when you sell that stock. In the meantime, when you hold it, you don't pay any taxes at all. It's called unrealized gains. Mm-hmm. And what these billionaires have done is they just borrow against that. They never have to sell. So they never even pay the capital gains tax. Meanwhile, you and I are getting a paycheck and we're paying, you know, well, if we made as much as they did, mm-hmm. we'd be charged 37%. So it's 37% versus 20 for assets, but they're not even paying the 20 because mm-hmm. they're not selling the assets. They're taking out low interest loans, paying a few percent, living on that money. And I um, mm-hmm. I was speaking to a guy down in Silicon Valley who kind of knows all the billionaires down there. And he has a buddy, real estate mogul, billionaire. Mm-hmm. And the guy, when he was in college, uh, like roughly college age, managed to scrape together funds, bought a building in New York City for about $10 million. And the thing just soared in value over the years. It's now worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And this billionaire says to Tim O'Reilly, the guy I interviewed, mm-hmm. he said, look, you got to understand, you know, you raise income taxes on wealthy people. Well, we don't have any income. Mm-hmm. I just borrow money. He borrows tens of millions of dollars against this building, Mm-hmm. And he uses that money to live on, and he actually gets a tax deduction. Yes, because like a real, you know, the, the, in the real estate business, you get all kinds of perks like that. So right. he's getting deduction on the money he lives on, paying no income tax. Which is astounding. And I mean, what what ProPublica did is they got actual data yeah. on these guys. I mean, this is something we kind of, well, the people who've been working on a book about it sure know what's going on, right? Uh, but to see the actual guys, you know. Uh, by name mm-hmm. and and saying this guy you know made this much Mike I mean and they're not all conservatives you know Michael Bloomberg is out there mm-hmm. and and you know Elon Musk and all these people it's not just the Koch brothers doing mm-hmm. stuff like this so you know and, and because it's legal it kind of it provides cover for the cover for these guys because they all say you know we follow the rules right mm-hmm. and but none- the rules have been skewed and, 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 and skewed by their own people in many cases. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're that class of people have a lot of high-end lawyers who are the people who make these things happen. And and none of uh, this is, is uh, as far as I can tell, none of this is new. This is not a new scam, this notion of hanging on to your assets and borrowing against them because the interest rate is much lower than the tax rate, and that interest rate can then be written off, in fact, so you can lower your taxes. None of that is new. Why are we just sort of coming to an understanding of this now? Does it take the actual data from the IRS and these actual names that we know, uh, you know, to, to sort of put it into stark terms that America can go, oh, my God, that's how they're getting away with it? Well, I think most Americans don't know this. I mean, it's it's something that people who report on business and economics probably have some inkling of. But you need a big splash. You need something like this, mm-hmm. like uh, a, a big expose by ProPublica picks, picked up by the New York Times. Mm-hmm. That gets Congress riled up. The Congress, the people in Congress start talking about it. Now, whether anything's really going to happen on it with the divided Senate is hard to say. I mean, yeah, right. sure, some Republicans, you know, the thing is, 
Republican, rank-and-file Republicans in this country do not like plutocracy either. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is not a partisan issue. The trouble is the Senate is so bought, you know. Mm-hmm. The senators, you know, conservative senators are not really representing the Republican rank-and-file. They're representing the Republican top donors. Mm-hmm. And actually, both Democrats and Republicans, if you look at, uh, if you break down the list of the 100 top campaign donors, more than half are Democrat. So this goes both. This goes both parties, right? Well, uh, they, it, it's you know the wealth versus non-wealth uh-huh. is, oh, you know, it's a, it's a divide much like progressive versus conservative, and you see that in the policies that people will vote for. Even like wealthy, there's been studies that show that wealthier Democrats are less likely to vote for bills that would reduce inequality. It's really interesting. Well, you know, ProPublica notes how uh, most of the debate around taxes has to do with the the marginal tax rate that it seems like we argue about constantly when, Mm -hmm. when, you know, Trump and uh, the Republicans lowered it in 2017. And now Biden's looking at raising it, even though what Biden and, and the Democrats are talking about would affect they say nobody making less than $400,000 a year, but somehow Republicans have been successful. And and this has been going on for a long time, saying, you know, Democrats want to raise your taxes. Sure, they do, if you make more than $400,000 a year, which is not yeah. most of Americans. And yet the GOP does seem to be successful in scaring Americans about tax increases. Why are they so successful at that? They're very good rhetoricians. I mean, they've sort of perfected this sort of demonization of the Democrats. And, you know, the way media is siloed now, I mean, how many conservatives are listening are listening to your show? I don't know. But, you know, if you watch Fox News, you get a completely different mm-hmm. mindset. And now people are watching even crazier things like OAN and mm-hmm. Newsmax. You know, right. it's just, you know, it's just a completely alternate reality. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the Republicans can say what they want and their loyalists will listen. Uh, they'll believe them. You know, the fact is the system's not working for most of America. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I think the top 20 percent's doing okay. The top 10 percent's doing quite well. And as you go up, it gets exponentially better for people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, anyone you know, anyone at the bottom half is really not in a good way. I mean, they have no savings. Mm-hmm. They own no stocks, pretty much. If you go down a little further, you go to the bottom 40 percent, they own no wealth collectively, none, zero. Yeah. They have no assets. Yeah. That's because the bottom quarter have debt, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, to, to live in this supposedly egalitarian country, you know, we talk about free enterprise. This is not about free enterprise. It's about we have a tax code, which is a moral document, really. It's an expression of our society's values. And we are deciding, you know, our, our leaders are deciding that we should be um, rewarding somebody with a big pot of money to invest mm-hmm. over the guy who's working, right? And, you know, th- it's so contrary to the whole ideal of America and hard work and all the stuff that politicians view. It's completely, <laughs> the reality is completely different, what we're rewarding. It's, so I mean, it's like, this is not a matter of, you know, the, the tax code, it's, it's not a matter of, oh, well, you, I, have, I should have the freedom to earn as much money as I want and Mm-hmm. And you know, leave it all to my children. And listen, that is my money. I earned it. It's like, well, no, it's not your money. The the government has always decided how much of your money you keep mm-hmm. because everybody's got to contribute to the collective good. 
and the collective good is, you know, what fixes your streets and funds your police and yeah. funds, you know, everything. Yeah, and of everything you care about and need is funded by the government, and the government's been starved, you know. And and that's uh, Jared Yates Sexton, a political analyst. Uh, he was tweeting out the link to ProPublica's article, and and he noted along with that uh, with that link, he said, "This is why your loved ones can't have health care. Why why their lives are shortened. Why schools are going without, and your towns and roads are crumbling. This system is wired explicitly and tirelessly to enrich the wealthy at your expense." Uh, ProPublica puts it in a stark terms. Uh, the American taxation system is by and large built on taxing income, you know, labor, your work, the work that you get, you know, you get paid for that work. And, and then the government takes a percentage of that income. And then we all fight about what that percentage should be. But if you own stuff, a company, real estate, stocks and bonds, uh, works of art, uh, you know, which all accrue in, val- in value, you get richer each year without having to work really at all if you don't want to. And that wealth, though it grows each year, does not get taxed uh, under the current system, at, at least until you sell some of it. And even then, it's at a much lower rate than you would pay if you made that same money, you know, by, say, digging ditches or teaching at a school or working in a factory. Uh, is, is, that, is, is that basically correct and how did we get to such a place without uh, seemingly anybody noticing where, you know, year after year we're, we're bickering about these marginal tax rates when the rich folks are just getting away with everything here? You know, I mean, the taxation of capital gains has sort of gone up and down over the years, but there's always been this argument from the very beginning, from, you know, the days of Carnegie, that, you know, if you tax people with a lot of money that are investors and business people, you know, those people then won't invest, right? Mm-hmm. They won't create jobs that are just going to lift up the masses. <laughs> it's a spurious argument. I mean, I always say, like, look, if you have $100 million and the, somebody raises the capital gains rate, mm-hmm. does that mean you're not going to start a company? You're not right. going to put in the stock market? No, of course not. What, you, what else are you going to do with your money, right? right? You put it on your mattress? Right. Um, no, you're still you're going to do... I mean, maybe you'll try to move move somewhere where the taxes are lower. You go go to space where the taxes are lower. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, America has thrived during times when taxes were fairer. I mean, basically between between uh, after you know after the Roaring Twenties and the Gilded Age, mm-hmm. um, when there were very high tax rates and there were also higher tax rates on capital gains, there was a narrowing of the wealth gap. You know, from the from the forties, like post post Great Depression. All the way up through the 80s, there was, it, was, it was more equitable. It was still pretty unequitable, but it was mm-hmm. much more equitable. And, you know, the, even just compensation of CEOs, for instance, would be like, you know, 20 to 1, like it would be 20 for the, the CEO to every dollar made by the, you know, lower-level worker. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that's like over 300, 350 or something like this. Oh. You know, we've gotten so, we've, the ladders of the, the rungs of the economic ladder have been stretched so far apart that, as one of my sources in my book says, that you can't even see the next rung. Mm. And even if, you, even if you're a one percenter, and yeah. it's kind of crazy, even if you're a one percenter, you look up at the guys like Bezos and you go, oh, I'm not rich. I'm right. middle class. Oh. Like everyone, I live in a rich neighborhood. Everyone around me has the same means. So you start thinking you're middle class. Right. And maybe you were raised middle class, and uh-huh. now you're a one percenter, but you don't even feel like one because you're surrounded by rich people. 
And then you look up at guys like Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos, and you go, oh, no, they're the rich guys. Right, right. right. Is, is there, you know... Uh, you know, obviously, this is a fairness issue. ProPublica talks about. We've been talking about. But is there really enough money if we change the tax structure? Is there enough wealth that could uh, somehow be fairly taxed? And we'll talk about how that could be done. But you know, that currently isn't. Uh, but if it were, that it could actually change the equation in America to ensure the better health care, the better schools, the better infrastructure, and so forth. That you know, uh, Jared Sexton was talking about or you know would it really change the equation or is this simply a question of fairness with you know everybody ought to pay their fair share but ultimately there is not all that much money that it would make that much of an actual difference in the services provided you know to the many citizens of an entire nation of our size well you know it's it's a bit of both really i mean first of all there is a lot of wealth Mm -hmm. that is untaxed and the last count, according, there's a company called WealthX who tracks all this stuff, and Forbes has different numbers, but they they count 788 U.S. billionaires at last count. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of billionaires. And then the, the tens of thousands of, of people they would call ultra-wealthy, which is 30 million and up. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the concentration of wealth at the top, like 1%, Goldman Sachs did an analysis where they looked at all stock holdings, both private and public stock, mm-hmm. of all U.S. households. And the top 1% owned, I think it was 53, 54, 55% of mm-hmm. everything. So yeah, there is a lot of money, and most of that is in assets that aren't being taxed mm-hmm. because it's being held, it's because it's capital assets. You know, one proposal, like you know, Gabriel Zuckman and, and Emmanuel Saez at UC Berkeley, these economists, have... Mm-hmm proposed taxing unrealized capital gains. So when you have money in the stock, the stock soars, you have basically have to put up, you're taxed on those gains even mm-hmm. before you sell. But then if the stocks go down, you well, then you, then money. you make adjustments for that. Then so you can claim deductions you know, for the money. losses. Right. In, in your, uh, your own article today at Mother Jones, Michael Mechanic, uh, following up on all of this, uh, you wrote a piece uh, headlined, It's not just income taxes. Billionaires don't pay inheritance taxes either. Uh, you write, somewhat amusingly in the lead here, if accurately, uh, quote, If you are an American citizen with hundreds of millions of dollars in assets, this would be a great time to die. No res- disrespect intended. It's just a fact. For seldom have there existed better conditions for transferring vast for- fortunes to one's offspring. So what are those conditions as you see them, Mike? And, and, and by the way, now may be a great time to die, but what gives you the idea that there will be changes anytime soon to any of this, which has been going on for so long, giving those folks reasons to die now rather than any time in the near future? Well, that was a joke, you know, and the thing is, there's, there's actually... Sort of, when, sort of when, a joke, I know. Sort of, yeah. yeah. Well, okay. when, Biden was, when Biden was elected, and then January 6th, when the Democrats gained control of the Senate, mm-hmm. among, among other things that happened that day, mm-hmm. there was a lot of consternation in the ultra-wealth community. Uh, these are the people I sort of talked to from my book. Mm-hmm. Um, but just, you know, wealth management, the, the billionaires, you know, they the people that hire state lawyers, essentially, mm-hmm. and they're like, what does this mean for us, right? What, what is this, you know, are they going to raise our taxes? Are they going to change the inheritance rules so that I'm going to not be able to leave as much as I can leave? So, I mean, what happened, you know, 
we've been fighting over inheritance taxes since the early days of the 20th century. Actually, no, no, I'm sorry, it was the 1800s they were first imposed. Mm -hmm. And they were imposed as wartime taxes. They were used to fund various war efforts. In fact, the, the first one was the when we were skirmishing with the French, like shortly after the American Revolution. It was the first, what mm -hmm. they called death tax, right? And then each military action since then, they put in uh, an inheritance tax, and then they would repeal them after the hostilities ceased. Mm -hmm. It wasn't really until early in the 20th century that they put in something more permanent, but they did kind of a half-assed job of it, and it took decades and decades of squabbling to kind of get to where we are today. Um, and the, the exemption amounts, which is the amount of money you can give to your heirs or anyone else, for that matter, mm -hmm. during your lifetime or, at, or in death, there's a, there's a cap at, you know, of, of where you can give an X amount tax-free and then right. beyond that you get taxed. Well, that exemption was modest for much of the past you know, 50 years, mm -hmm. but it's really skyrocketed. And right it currently, so so the there's been a lot of lobbying by the Republicans to repeal the estate taxes and the other inheritance taxes, which they've already lowered uh, tremendously. In yeah, well, I mean, for, yeah. like I point out in the article, yeah. there were at least 44 House Republican bills to repeal the estate taxes. Yeah, and they were unsuccessful in doing that. But what happened is in 2017 with the, mm -hmm. the you know the Trump tax reform. Uh, that was unilaterally Republican. Mm -hmm. They doubled the lifetime exemption, so the lifetime tax-free amount you can give to your heirs. Mm -hmm. And so now if you're a married couple, you can give $23.4 million to your children without paying a penny mm. in tax, mm -hmm. oh, which is a lot of money. Yes, you know? it is. Yes, But if you have $100 million, you're like, oh, I don't want to give, I don't want to be taxed on the rest of that, right? So there are these trusts Structures. There's various kinds of trusts that you can use, just avoid those taxes entirely. And well, go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say which, which, because uh, there's a couple more points I want to hit with you before I uh, run up against the clock here, Michael. But yeah, you, 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 you outline some of those trusts and schemes that were created, I guess, by the federal government. A lot of them to basically avoid having to pay. Uh, any inheritance taxes. And so, you know, while we're all looking over here at, oh, what's going to be the rate, the marginal rate again for the inheritance taxes, there are ways to avoid those as well entirely, uh, as you detail in your piece that I'll link to over at Mother Jones. Very quickly, uh, Michael, uh, Massachusetts Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren, of course, she has been calling for years now for a wealth tax, a tax not on income and labor, but on accrued wealth, which uh, I think uh, speaks to the issue cited by ProPublica uh, specifically. Uh, here, just to remind everyone, here's her short explanation, her short version of it uh, from earlier this year. This is wildly popular because people get it that the system today is unfair and rigged. So let me remind everybody what the wealth tax is. It says on fortunes bigger than $50 million, on your 50 millionth and first dollar, you gotta pitch in two cents. And two cents on every dollar after that until you hit a billion dollars in assets and then a few pennies more. This would make that top one-tenth of one percent, this would only affect about 100,000 families in America, this would make them pay 
and it would produce about three trillion dollars in revenue. So, yeah, that is a lot of money, uh, mm-hmm. Mike. Yeah. Uh, this is, you know, as she explains, it sounds so simple, so obvious, so necessary and fair. And yet, uh, two points. Uh, there's a question about whether it's even constitutional to institute a tax on wealth at all. And the question of whether any of this can be passed either way, because this is really a new idea for America to tax wealth. Do you get any sense right now from the momentum in Congress, whatever it may be, that this is something that could actually be a reality that, you know, then we can wait for the U.S. Supreme Court to later tell us it's completely unconstitutional. But uh, is this something that could actually happen? Um, I am skeptical. Uh-huh. To tell you the truth, why? But, but I want to just step back for a second because we already have a wealth tax. You know what it is? What's Property that? taxes. Mm-hmm. And guess who it affects the most? The middle class. Mm-hmm. Because the middle class, about sixty percent or sixty percent or more mm-hmm. of middle class wealth is tied up in people's homes, mm-hmm. their primary residence. The one percenter is only seven percent. That's a little stat that comes from a paper by a guy named Edward Wolf at NYU. Mm-hmm. So we do have a wealth tax, and it hits the middle class. To do this particular wealth tax, it hits only the very, very, very wealthy, even wealthy Democrats, like progressive wealthy people that I've talked to, mm-hmm. are not in favor of this. Why? Why not? Do they have well, that much money? I mean, one guy said to me, one guy told me he thought it would like dry up liquidity and tank the economy. Uh, I don't know. I'm not an economist. I uh-huh. can't really talk, speak to that. Uh-huh. Another, yeah, they just, you know, it's like they just say, well, a lot of the, you know, some of the people I talk to think they should be taxed more, but they're also kind of like, well, I don't think that's the way to do it. <laughs> they're they're worried about chipping away at that nest egg they've got. See, that's uh, that same. I think, that, well, there is that's the same a, mindset that we, you know, that I was talking about with the with the Republicans and Fox News, and you know, this idea that well, this is going to hurt us all. Someday I'll be making. $50 million a year yeah. in wealth, and, and exactly. then it'll hurt me. Yeah, you know, we have we have this this ethos that, so yeah, someday we could be the guy in the mansion, right. or the guy with the Gulfstream jet. The funny thing is we've always treated wealth sort of very separately from, from income. We don't ask people about their wealth and where it came from, and we but yet we talk about income. Wealth is a lot harder to gauge. It's harder, harder to figure out how much money somebody has. Mm-hmm then the, the IRS could tell you how much income they have, but not how much wealth. Mm-hmm. And then how do you value all that stuff? Say, oh, yeah, well, I've got a Picasso. How much is that worth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, those things know. have to be, don't they have to be uh, every year accounted for uh, for insurance purposes? Don't they come up with a value for those uh, items oh, well, each year? presumably, but I mean, you know, look what Donald Trump did. Uh-huh. Uh, allegedly, he told the government one thing. He told his investors other things about right. the value of his buildings. So you're going to get a lot of cheating. <laughs> well, wait, wait, which actually, let me, since you brought that up, I know I said I had only one more question, but let me have two here very quickly. Uh, you know, we, we still don't know how ProPublica got its hands on all of this IRS data. It, it does sound like a crime was committed by somebody somewhere along the way. They, they note they've had this information for months as they've been analyzing it, I have seen speculation. The data may have been released, oh, I don't know, prior to the new administration, suggesting that, you know, maybe someone in the Trump administration might have wanted this information out there. Do you have any irresponsible speculation on on, on that? And, uh, you know, if this is, you know, maybe Donald Trump saying, look, everyone does this. It's not just me. Don't send me to prison for it. 
<laughs> what do you think Trump released the data? Um, I, that would be pretty interesting. I uh, came from well, somewhere. You know, also, the, the, the ProPublica folks, they've done some amazing reporting on the IRS. Uh, you should look it up. Mm-hmm. There's a piece called How the IRS Was Gutted mm-hmm. uh, by one of the same authors on uh, the piece the other day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's fabulous and, and really telling. And, you know, there were a lot of... Uh, you know, the people at the IRS tend to be really super professional, mm-hmm. and it's hard to believe any of them would leak the data, but right. you never know. <laughs> right. You never know. I mean, it's wi- wild speculation, uh-huh. but it could, could happen. Uh, but you've you got to think there's a serious, serious security on that kind of data, too. Well, you... I mean, they won't even release, the IRS won't even release anonymized data on the top, very, very top taxpayers, I... because... Why? Because you can figure it out, because they're so specific. I know, and that's why for all of this very detailed, very personal data to be released, boy, one would have to really be in a position of power to have access to that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Never mind that uh, irresponsible... Brad, you're getting wild here. Well, I'm just saying, Mike. Finally, uh, as I know, uh, your book, Jackpot, How the Super-Rich really live and how their wealth harms us all uh, has only now uh, has just recently been published and of course Father's Day is coming up now I know you wrote this basically so that you could hang out on uh, super yachts and so forth with a whole bunch of people something that I'm kicking myself I didn't think of but um, what very quickly before we go here uh, what's your quick pitch for this book I don't think it's a financial book but so what's what's the quick pitch other than uh, you know it has a really cool cover by the way uh, what can we expect to learn in uh, jackpot look this is not a polemical book it's a fun entertaining and mm-hmm. enraging narrative mm-hmm. character driven in which I, I basically hang out with wealthy people, super wealthy people in their minions. Mm-hmm, and I interview <laughs> researchers, and I, you know, I talk to a woman who trains billionaires' nannies in physical combat, and a guy who builds luxury safe rooms. And it's just this journey of the American wealth fantasy and sort of how it's gone off the rails. Um, you know, people who have read it have told me they, they think it's both super entertaining and really informative and eye-opening. So that made me happy. The uh, great. I hope you guys all... Get a chance to read it. The great Bill Moyers uh, describes, a Jackpot recalls for me the muckraking reporting of America's first Gilded Age when dogged profes- prophetic journalists exposed the giants of crooked capitalism and voila, inspired progressive forces that changed the country. Moyers goes on to say, Michael Mechanic, you've shown us how to do it. May legions follow your example. Well, legions can legions can uh, purchase that book, I believe, via michaelmechanic.com. They can also follow his work, of course, at motherjones.com, where, full disclosure, some years ago, I believe Michael uh, Mechanic edited a piece, an exclusive or two of mine, on some other rich people known as the Koch Brothers. That was a while back. Uh, but you can find his work motherjones.com and, of course, on the Twitters at Michael Mechanic. Mike, really great speaking with you. I hope to uh, catch up soon. Congratulations on the new book. Thank you so much. You bet. Okay, we've got to go. My thanks to our <laughs> yes. producer, Desi Doy, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other we've ever done, you can download it for free at bradblog.com, all of which is made possible by those of you who donate via bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. I'll see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.